Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Here we go again, another deep dive into biblical worldview and why ideas have consequences and bad ideas have really bad consequences and good ideas actually lead to the world in which we find ourselves in today. And I, I cannot think of a topic that is more apropos to to discussion than this topic of science because, you know, we are living in such a, in American culture, Western culture, that worship science, right? I mean, science yeah. is everything, technology, and and we look at Christians as being like in the dark ages and uh, obsolete and, and stupid and all of these things. And yet, you know, as, as our, our, our topic has been in this book, the book that made your world, the basic premise has been, wait a minute, we have to go back and look at the presuppositions. We have to go back and look at the ideas and the, the cultural things that gave rise. I, I kind of look at it like the soil. You know, you, you, if the soil's not good, you can have great seed. You can have a good idea, but nothing's going to be established. Nothing's going to grow. And, and so we get back today to kind of rewinding the tape and yeah. saying, wait, time out. All you, you know, anti-Christian, uh, let's worship science, follow the right. science people. Uh, we slam the brakes on today and we say, wait a minute, where did science come from? Well, it's interesting because science, like you said, has become basically the counterfeit savior, of, yep. a, a messiah of our populace. Uh, our popular culture's religion, basically, right now. And the problem is science, as we discover, science in itself is not a sustainable, it cannot be a savior unto its own. So basically, when you undercut biblical uh, worldview from its roots, eventually science is going to morph back into uh, mysticism and and, and superstition, which is kind of happening right now in our culture today, right? (laughs) Debating what is is science. So it's it's happening happening before our very eyes. But when you study this book, you, you start to look back at the foundation for what started science, which is the biblical worldview, then you realize, oh, if you lose biblical worldview, you're going to quickly lose science. Yes, so. and that, you're exactly right. And then science, you know, science is not uh, neutral because science requires a scientist yes. to interpret the data. And the problem is every scientist has a worldview and no. every scientist is fundamentally religious because that worldview dictates how you look at the facts. And, um, and so we're going to get back to they peel the layers off. You know, we're going to expose the, uh, the, the straw man argument that somehow, haven't you heard this one? Science and Christianity are oh, in yeah. conflict. Yeah, religion and science. Either, yeah, either you're going to be scientific and smart and follow the, follow the facts, or you're going to be some superstitious religious moron uh, that deserves an, you know, an, an age long ago that we right. moved on from. And that is just so, so, so untrue. We're going we're gonna to find that, again, most of the, the, the science and the scientists that gave us the world in which we live were deeply devoted Christians and deeply devoted to the scriptures. But That's before we true. even get into that, I think it's interesting. You know, he, he starts off in this book by saying where he grew up, and it was like 50 miles, you know, northwest or something of, of an area in India that was known for, uh, for diamonds and a diamond mine. He, he made a comment, though. He said they didn't look for diamonds where he was from because nobody had ever found them in that district. And then he makes a, a, an interesting observation that we both loved. People only toil for treasure if they believe that such labor might lead to rich rewards. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, faith makes a difference. The key word there, they'll only toil for treasures if they believe. So you've got to have faith, and, there's, and there must be a faith in the possibility of science. And so talk about that. You know, 
If you don't believe there's diamonds in the soil, you're not going to start digging or excavating. Right. But if you have a belief that there's a good reason to believe that there are diamonds in the soil, then you'll go through the necessary work to explore, to dig, to, to, to research. Right. And he, he, he takes that idea and he transfers it over to science. Yeah, and it's a great analogy because you think about digging for diamonds is not just like a five-minute endeavor. It's money and resources and dedication it's it's a lot of work yeah well the same thing for digging for empirical truth digging for scientific laws for principle mathematical formula they all take a lot of work and energy so the question is throughout the history of the world why is that there was no infrastructure this faith for science throughout there, there's been great observers and right. great uh, discoverers throughout the history of the world but never a culture of science until western civ come along yeah so I, what caused also to establish the faith for people to dig for scientific truth what happened that's yeah. the question he asked yeah and it's a great question and as you said you know because people are created in the image and likeness of god you're going to find brilliant observers mm-hmm. in every culture this is not a cultural issue um, in terms of, of some, pe- yeah, or some, some people, people are better than others no. or, or whatever. That, that's not the point. The point is, as he, you know, I love, I love his coming from his background uh, because he's, he's fully immersed in Hinduism. So, I mean, he gets it. He gets what the Hindus believe. And he makes a comment, again, that, that the word Maya in their culture uh, speaks of the world as unreal. It's an illusion. It's a dream. And so he asks a really great question. If you grow up in a Hindu culture, as most Indian children... Uh, they can be very bright when it comes to things like mathematics and, and applied sciences like that. But when it comes to observing the universe, if you believe that the universe is an illusion, why would you invest your life in trying to discover truths about something that is fundamentally unreal? Yeah, I mean, that would be completely illogical. Nobody would spend their life chasing after something that was unreal or an illusion, um, a, a mirage. Yeah. Uh, and he says that's the problem with most Eastern religion is because their worldview does not create the soil with the presuppositions that are necessary even to explore the universe. Uh, because if the universe is, is full of all kinds of little deities, if it's a mystical place, if it's a place uh, where little gods and little demons, you know, are capricious, there's no no rhyme or reason in how they behave. Then why would you put any confidence whatsoever in spending one millisecond in studying that world? Because there's there's nothing to be gained there. You think about you know honing, discovering, exploring the concept of gravity, attraction between matters, right? That that there's gravity on Earth and and how and what's the acceleration of gravity. That all takes a lot of work. But if, if your worldview, if your infrastructure to your belief is that attraction or forces are just affected by the spirit of this lake and the spirit of this yeah. tree. Animism. Animism. Yeah. Absolutely. There is no discipline. There's no rigor. There's no investment to those into those measurements because they could change any second. So once you finally work so hard measure it and this God just says, you know what, I'm going to change this thing and boom. There's, there's, there's no way someone's going to do that. Right. And he said, you go back to the scriptures, for instance, Psalm Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. If the heavens have something to say about the greatness of God, then we need to know who this God is. We need to understand his character, and then we need to look at what this God has done. 
uh, his created realm. And so he brings up something I was preaching on Sunday. If you're at Living Stones, we were talking about uh, Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27, the dominion mandate. Mm-hmm. Uh, God created man and woman in his image and likeness, and then he gave us dominion. He gave, he gave us the challenge to rule and reign over creation. And that, that ruling and reigning and taking dominion suggests that we are, we are exploring the, the created world and that we are actually uh, working with the created world to create, to develop, to grow, uh, to understand. Uh, and it, that just one verse of, of us being created by God and then being placed on a planet to have dominion, that separates the Christian view and Christian worldview Absolutely. from every other religious endeavor. I mean, right. in, uh, creations of God made in His image and likeness and then given dominion to rule and reign right. as regents on right. this planet, which means we have the power to reign over nature. Right. Nature is not sacred. We don't worship nature. We rule it. Right. That's a radical concept. It, it's, it's like if you feel like your role is that you're dropped in the middle of high school as a freshman, uh, <laughs> and that's your role, and you're just like scared in the corner hoping no one <laughs> noticed you. And that's what most worldview is of their how they view themselves. But the Bible actually says, actually, you're the principal. You are the principal. Here's the key, yeah. and this is your school. Yes. And take reign and rule of it. That will change your perspective walking to that school, right? Being a, yep. being a freshman versus being the principal of the school. Absolutely. Right. A massive change. A massive change, and right. And so, so you look, and this was not in his chapter on science. It was in another one of his chapters, which I forget. But he gave an example that was a profound picture of, of the theology in practice. Yeah. He said that in his community, uh, they would worship the river because the river brought the water and the water brought the life. And so if you don't know the God who created water and rivers in the planet and you don't understand, as you said, you're the principal <laughs> and not just a student, um, then you worship the river while your people starve to death. Yep. But he said when Western missionaries came, they said, <laughs> look, yeah. this river exists for you. Yeah. It's created by God, but it exists for you to take dominion over. So all your plants here are, st- are drying up and dying, and you have water right next to your field. So why don't you use irrigation mm. technology, and why don't you take dominion over the river and pump the water into the field to grow the crops so that you're not waiting for rain from heaven. You're, you're taking the water from the river to, to water your crops, and then you're not going to starve to death. Now you'll not only have enough for your, your family, yes. but you can feed an entire region. Absolutely. But that thought was not ever in the mind of a Hindu because the Hindu worshiped the river instead of taking dominion over Absolutely. the river. It was the understanding of dominion that came from the Christian worldview and that, and that revolutionized the West and brought economic prosperity and plenty for everybody. I yeah. mean, so this is just that one little radical idea uh, was powerful. And so I want us to look, and you mm. and I can talk about this, kind of a summary of the chapter, but uh, he makes the comment that scientific investigation depends on certain assumptions about the world. So we've got about six assumptions we want to unpackage today, and they're really, really powerful, and they're uniquely Christian. And, and, and before we get to the assumptions, you will look at some of these assumptions right now through the modern lens and be like, well, no, duh, of course, of yeah. course we feel that way. But you got to understand context. Throughout history, no one has ever yeah, made these the assumptions. history of ideas. Ideas, yes. The history of the world, civilization, ancient civilizations, no one has these assumptions. That's why they did not advance science and technology like the Western did, or actually after the Reformation did, in the Western Civ, 
because of that. So don't take these for granted. These are not just like, oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. This actually creates the, the worldview soil which has given science a place to grow and thrive. Like he says in the book, that he quotes people that figured out the exact circumference of, the, of Earth. How do you do that, <laughs> you know, a thousand years ago? You right. know? Like, how do you do that? Or I remember reading about um, uh, Galileo. Before he created the telescope, they were able mathematically, with, per, with great precision... To say, you know what, if we could see it, this planet would be right there at that particular part in the sky right. with great precision. And, and it wasn't until the technology caught up with the mathematics that they were actually then able to put a, a telescope up in the sky and go, yeah, there's that planet, just like they said it would be. Right. The, the, so they used mathematics and they used a cr- crazy uh, understanding uh, of, of certain disciplines and subjects to determine and to, to monitor, I guess, the precision that God had placed in the world. But again, these were Christians who believed in an orderly world, not people who believed in a spirit world. Well, exactly. Uh, if you believe those stars were like gods and they're going to just move and go somewhere else, yeah. why even spend all the energy measuring and studying that, right? So, so, so oh. here's some powerful yeah. ideas, as you said, that yeah. are uniquely Christian, which we take for granted, yeah. but we shouldn't because they, they came from somewhere. Yeah. All right, first one, the universe, the physical universe was real. <laughs> yeah. Like real table, real matter, real physical body. Right. Uh, but again, that's not what Hindus believe uh, right. or Buddhists believe, but that's what Christians teach. Right. H- Hindus and Buddhists are trying to escape this world because it's, it's an illusion. The, the real world is a spiritual world, whereas the physical world is just all an illusion. Fake or fake. less. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which leads us to yeah. the next point. Uh, God made it good. In other words, the, the physical material world is not evil. Mm-hmm. It's not the Gnostic view that somehow matter is evil and spirit is pure. Uh, no, the physical world is good. It was created, and the reason it's good is it was created by a God who is good. Yep. And so it's not an evil, disordered chaos. And I like this conclusion material things are to be used for the glory of God and the good of people. So we view. You know, when God says the earth is good, that's his declaration over the creation, then we believe what he says, and we start saying, wait a minute, okay, if the world is good, it's worthy of our focus, it's worthy of our attention, and it can be developed for the glory of God right. and for the good of people. That's why the, the, the gospel is not just get saved and wait till you go to heaven. The, gospel, the, the, the true gospel is the dominion, restoring the dominion mandate to say, hey, the world groans and craves for the, for the sons and uh, daughters of, of Christ to come and redeem the world because the world was made good and sin corrupted it, but Christ yes. came to redeem it all, right? And, that, and that's a good point. We live in a world that was created good. Sin has corrupted it, which is why there's toil and mm-hmm. why there is suffering. And when we see toil and suffering... Uh, our job is to alleviate that. Yeah. And so we say, okay, let's discover certain plants or certain medicines or certain you know, behaviors that will help alleviate toil and help alleviate human pain yep. and misery. Yep. Uh, so we actually take part in the redemption of the planet yep. uh, because we are, as you mentioned, we are joint heirs, we are, we are co-heirs with Christ on planet Earth. We rule and reign for the glory of God. Yep. Now, this one's huge, and this, I kind of alluded to that with the illustration of the river. Uh, third point, uh, we are on uh, a planet that is a garden, not a God. In other words, the, the, you know, all this nonsense today about 
Earth Day and Mother Earth and, uh, you know, yeah. all of this Gaia stuff. Gaia hypothesis. Yeah, yeah, which is basically we almost, we almost treat nature as if nature itself is God. Uh, and so we're more concerned with, you know, uh, pollution than we are with worshiping the Creator. And, and again, I'm not against, we should be concerned with pollution for the right reasons. But today we live in a world uh, where nature is, has been deified. Um, where all that exists is matter, and all that exists is the planet, and we have to save the planet, and we we almost become little mini mini saviors, right? We're out. That's behind the whole green movement. We're going to save. Even that, there's such contradiction because you're supposed to save the planet, but planet is God. So what can they save itself and whatnot? It's just it's <laughs> so convoluted. Whereas the biblical worldview actually gives. Uh, uh, it makes sense in the framework to say, no, we do care for nature, but as stewards of God's kingdom, right. and we don't worship nature, we worship God. That actually provides a cohesive worldview. Well, this yeah. one's the one that always got me. You know, there is no God. All that exists is matter, mm -hmm. and Darwin's theory of evolution explains how everything got here, survival of the fittest. But then we believe in survival of the fittest, but then when the fittest start dying out, and we work with the extinction yeah. of certain species, right. then we have to rush in right. and rescue the species. But I thought the survival of the fittest meant that the fittest should survive and go on, and the weak should die off, and the species right. that can't cut it. Yeah, survival of, fittest, survival of the fittest, not just for animals, but for humans, kind of contradicts compassion, empathy, and caring for the yep. lost, Absolutely. caring for the poor. So you can't have it both we, ways, we right? We want our cake, and we want to eat right, it too, right? right? Um, right. But it doesn't quite work that way. Right. So... The whole idea is when the world uh, is no longer an object of worship, it becomes an object of study, mm -hmm. and that's huge. You will not study, dissect, break apart, manipulate, take dominion over a planet that you believe is God. And that's why, again, uh, the deification of nature uh, mitigates against the study of nature. So you can't, can't have your cake and eat it too. Yep. It's, either, it's either a god or it's a garden, and the, and the ideas matter. Mm -hmm. The fourth one here, and this is big, if uh, the planet was created by God, and we know that God is good and orderly and rational, etc., in other words, we know the character of God, um, then we can have an orderly world. If the world is chaotic and is not orderly, you can't study something that is disordered. Once mm -hmm. again, this flies right in the face of evolution because evolution says everything has been the, the process of gazillions of years of random processes. In other words, accidental. Mm -hmm. These are not processes that are based on order or law because order and law would have to come from someone orderly and lawful, right? So the problem, again, is you cannot have uh, an orderly world without a rational God. And Christianity provides the fact that this is a created world, and it was created by a rational being. I think there was a verse in Genesis equaling how the, God told the ocean to come to a certain steps and can't come any further. Yep. I, I forgot what, yep. when God, where in Genesis. When, when God ordered the, uh, the boundaries yes. of the waters. So, yes. so, so those who read the Bible literally in Genesis and not see it as some allegory says, right. oh, wait, the, so God has put certain laws in place. And every once in a while, he would supersede those laws. But most of the time, he, followed, he let us follow those orderly laws. So that's just, let's take some energy and time and discover what those laws are. Because when we discover what those laws are, they reflect the glory of God, such as gravity, such as you know, yeah. light, such as f and, other physical laws. And you and, brought out a good point that the Bible was not meant to be read allegorically. It was when people started reading the Bible literally. Mm -hmm. 
and talking about when God established boundaries. Wait, a boundary? If God established a boundary, yep. that boundary must be a law that can be discovered. And therefore, let's go in and, and dig deeper and let's uh, let's try boundary. to find out yep. what what did God mean here. Yep. And I love this whole idea that humans can think God's thoughts after God. In other words, God made us and made our minds and made human rationality to correspond not only with Him, so we could know Him, but so that we could know the world in which He's placed Absolutely. us. And uh, I got some great quotes. These are not from our chapter here, but they highlight this whole idea that it takes faith in reason to even believe in reason. In other words, faith precedes reason. Yeah. And the reason that it takes faith and that we should have faith in reason is because our minds correspond to the mind of God because we're created in His image. So this is G.K. Chesterton in his book, Orthodoxy, which I would recommend everybody become a, a G.K. Chesterton uh, student. Uh, I got my really bad glasses on today, so I, I, I'm, <laughs> okay, having, I'm having to hold them up here. These are, I took the other ones home. Do you ever do that? I got like 19 pairs of these, and they're all by my bedside when I need them. <laughs> All right, Chesterton said, It is idle to talk always of the alternative of reason and faith. Reason is itself a matter of faith. It's an act of faith to assert that our thoughts have any relation to reality at all. If you are merely a skeptic, you must sooner or later ask yourself this question. Why should anything go right, even observation and deduction? Why should not good logic be considered as misleading as bad logic. They are both movements in the brain of a bewildered ape. <laughs> so if you believe yeah. that you're an evolved ape, a highly advanced ape, then why should what's going on in my brain and all the chemicals and everything that's happening, why should that correspond to reality? Like, what is the connection there? Why should I have any confidence mm -hmm. that my brain can interact, my inner brain and ideas can react with the outer world around me? And I love this. This is, this is what Charles Darwin said, and this is a powerful quote by Darwin. He said, With me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which have been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Like, if we've evolved from lower forms of life, why should we have any confidence uh, in, the, in the convictions of our mind? Would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind at all? In other words, so Darwin's going, wow, if we evolved from single-cell amoeba, why should our evolutionary processes confirm any confidence whatsoever that yeah. what's going on inside my brain has any validity whatsoever? And so, again, what the Christian would say, well, of course our minds correspond with the outer world. We're made by God, right. and the world in which we're living in is right. created by God. Therefore, our rationality with the world and with each other has a connection. But we assume that, and an atheist assumes that. And why should you assume that? You have, you have absolutely no worldview infrastructure for those beliefs to have any, any rootedness. Absolutely. As you said, we've been severed. We, we, we just go on acting like this is the world, and this is the way things are, and we never stop to go, wait a minute, what are the assumptions there? And where does your worldview provide any yeah. validity for those assumptions? Those, and, and you're absolutely right, because there's people who are considered probably crazy, but they're delusional. They think, you know, they think they are conforming to the truth and they lead the whole nations or movement towards it yeah. and millions of people die. And after, at the end of that, they're like, you know what? I was still right. 
They're out of touch with reality. So they're ext- that's what craziness looked like. And, and humanity had to stop at the point and say, am I conforming to the truth? Am I crazy? Because there are crazy people. There are, there are things that people completely out of touch with reality. But even to have that introspective thought to say, am I crazy? Is this conforming to reality? That's a thought that every person needs to ask ourselves. Yeah. And what is your worldview that allows you to say, this thought that I have actually conforms to reality? Yeah, we're dealing with the philosophical branch of epistemology. How, how do I know that I know anything to yeah. be true? It's a great question. Right. Um, and, and according to these guys, or... Darwin, he makes a compelling point. He's saying, if I just evolve from a lizard, yeah, exactly. Why, should I even take what I'm saying, what I'm thinking right now, to make any sense or, or, or conform to reality? It's a you great know? question. And yeah. that's Darwin having second thoughts right. on his own theory, which he should. I mean, that's what science does. We, we all should We have, investigate, yeah. we question. Yeah. Uh, uh, these are good, good thoughts. Right. All right, the fifth point, which I think is really good, follow the law. A rational God must create a lawfully ordered world. When you find a law, you have to ask, where did this law come from? That's why when I was teach these concepts to teenagers, mostly seniors, I would say, hey, how many of you have taken a chemistry class? They'd all, of course, raise their hand. Or, if it, you know, you talked mm-hmm. about physics. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you come across, you take this amount of this chemical with this amount of this chemical, and you mix them together, and you heat them to this temperature, a chemical reaction takes place. It takes place all the time. Mm-hmm. It take, because of the fact it takes place all the time under certain conditions, we can therefore determine that this is a law. Mm-hmm. Something is happening here that's repeatable, right? Where did that law come from? How come that happens? And how come it happens all the time? And if it happens all the time and it's a law, where did the law come from? There right. had to be, this is just, this is just logic, if there's a law, there had to be a lawgiver, right? Because laws just don't make themselves up. Laws don't evolve. Laws mean that there's been some super intelligence embedded in the nature and the fabric of the universe, yeah. which point you logically right. to a lawgiver, right. whom we call God, and, and that's why these folks don't like to go that way. They don't like to call these things laws because laws always point to lawyers. <laughs> and lawgivers and law creators, <laughs> and God forbid that there's a divine lawgiver uh, who... Demands accountability. Demands accountability, and then I'm in big trouble if yeah. I've broken any of the lawgiver's laws, and we all know that we have. So, so, so this is interesting. I just had this thought, okay, so one plus one is almost always two. I say that almost always for a reason, okay? One plus one is so reliable to become two that we have built skyscrapers and space stations based on the foundation that one plus one was two. The probabilities are so strong. Yeah, that one plus one is generally two. In fact, the way that God reveals himself as God is coming to say, you know this one plus one equals two? I'm going to break that law when I break the bread. And when you break the bread, I'm going to distort that law just to show you that I'm actually the son of God, because that law is so powerful and so inherent in our nature. It's just, yeah, it's for, just a given. For, for Jesus to demonstrate who he is, he actually break that law as a demonstration of who he is. Because people always say, well, you Christians, you're just all about, you don't believe in the law because God all these different things. We're like, no, we actually believe in this law, but we also believe in the creator who created the law, that he actually can break this law in certain times, most of the time not. But to demonstrate... It's called, it's called miracles. To, that's what miracles are. But th- he used that to demonstrate that he is the son of God. And, and that's that he why he's authority it. over authority the to do entire that. created world. But all that's f- 
founded on the foundation that he there is a lawbreaker, I mean a lawmaker, and that one plus one is two comes from God. That's why he has authority to break it. So Jesus came to break that law, not to not like he said, not to abolish the law, but actually to reveal that he's greater than the law. He's greater than the law. Yeah. Amen. Which leads me to yes. the last, I guess, good uh, uh, summary of this. It says not only is nature lawful, but those laws can be stated in precise <laughs> mathematical yes. formulas. It's crazy. Now, you yeah. need to talk here because you're a math guy. You know, I was embarrassed. My dad was a, a math teacher and had a math brain. He would, when we were checking out, you know, at the grocery right. store, we'd have a, a grocery cart full of, of stuff for our family. Yeah. And my dad, while the while the checkout person was, you know, running the scans, beep beep beep. My dad was doing the math Mental in math, his yeah. mind. He was like rounding, rounding up or whatever, yeah. but he was keeping a total going in his mind, and it was a game for him to see how close he could get to the actual wow. thing. Now, after like two dollars and fifty cents, a dollar, I'm going ch -ch -ch -ch, like the Three Stooges, right? Mm. Ch -ch -ch -ch, and I'm like, all right, I, my steam's coming out yeah. of my ear, smoke. Uh, but my dad would get pretty close. Yeah, he 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 loved doing that. Uh, but I wanted to read a beautiful passage. This is another book we recommend. It's called The Soul of Science uh, by Nancy Piercy and Charles Thaxon. And it's a deeper dive scientifically even into the book we've been reading. But uh, this was amazing. Uh, it was a story about a Kepler who was a, a famous astronomer and a dev devote, uh, devoted Christian. He says... Um, a striking example can be found in the work of Kepler, who struggled for years with a slight difference of eight minutes between observation and calculation of the orbit of the planet Mars. Eventually, this slight imprecision drove him to abandon the idea of circular orbits and to postulate elliptical orbits. If Kepler had not maintained the conviction that nature must be precise— he would not have agonized over those eight minutes or would not have broken through a traditional belief in circular orbits that had held sway for 2,000 years. Mm. Kepler spoke gratefully of those eight minutes as, as a, quote, gift of God. Now, wow. this is amazing. Wow. So he's looking at things and doing all the math and figuring things out, and there's eight minutes difference and that eight minutes drove him to study and study and study and to basically overturn 2,000 years of acceptable thought on wow. circular orbits. And that's why we understand now that the orbits are actually elliptical because he said a God who is a God of rationality and order would not be eight minutes off. So therefore, we have to find the eight minutes. Yeah. Uh, that's the type of, of logic and and precision and dogged persistence right. that has created the scientific world in right. which we live today and simply would not have been there if we did not have these underlying Christian worldview beliefs. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, you think about, you know, pie, you know. It goes what kind of pie? Yeah. I love that pie. The ratio, you know, the circles, the conference to the uh, pie or square, whatever, the ratios, I don't even know yes. what it is. But, but how, pers I mean, it goes on infinitely, right? But but that number, 22 over 7, that ratio is so precise to describe what a perfect circle looks like. Wow. I mean, just the precision of mathematics. Again, I, I thought I was pretty good at math until I went to college and took some math <laughs> class. I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. But the precision. Precision is what allows us to send people to the moon, to build skyscrapers. I mean, to do these crazy things is all about that crazy precision. And yeah. imagine, imagine everything is like kind of like, oh, whatever. 
when you build a skyscraper, it might fall, it might not. No, they have enough precision to know they can build these crazy things, like amazing things they're building, and just know that exactly this will stay. This will be able to handle this amount of wind. So you got precision, precision in, in the in the outer world, the natural world. You have yeah. precision on the inner world. Here's like another great example yeah. of the human cell. The think about this: the amount of information contained in a single human cell equals the entire 30 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica several times over. So think of just a 30-volume <coughs> set of, of uh, Encyclopedia several times over, stacked mm -hmm. on in. That's how much data is contained in one cell in our body. Mm -hmm. Now, a, a person who's not blinded by their ideology, right, looks at that and says, where did that information come from? They don't go, oh, that evolved over accidentally with mutations over gazillions of years because that was the other thing that was found out. With all the mathematical precision that we have, it is an impossibility for, for us to get what we have today uh, given, given an infinite amount of time uh, of random chance mutations to create, for instance, just the human body. It, it can't happen. It is a mathematical impossibility because of what we know about mathematics. Sure. So these are all the things that, again, where ideology blinds us to the truth. Let's just quickly, in the time that we have left, um, cover kind of a summary, and we'll hit on this quickly. So first of all, Christian teachings have served as presuppositions for science. We have the presupposition of irrational God and the laws of nature. So without the Bible, without the teaching of the Bible, we would not have the necessary worldview mm -hmm. for science to emerge. Secondly, Christian teachings sanctioned science because they were a means of alleviating the toil and suffering that we find in the world. So mm -hmm. uh, again, it was the Bible that led us to the fact that we were called to take dominion so that we could actually alleviate the pain, the suffering, and the toil that we see all around us. Well, why do we see that? Because the world has fallen, mm -hmm. and the Bible teaches these things. Uh, Christian teaching supplied the motives for science, uh, the motives being to display the glory of God and the wisdom of the Creator. Mm -hmm. So when a, when a scientist of old came across a major discovery, they would worship. And I would tell our students, especially when I was discipling senior students, whenever you're in chemistry class and you are doing a scientific experiment and you're mixing chemicals and you get a chemical reaction and you stumble upon a law that's in your books, the whole class should stop at that moment either fall on their faces or lift their hands above their head and worship and praise mm -hmm. the Creator because you've just discovered the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is the glory of God. Uh, it, it's part of His glory. And, and when we discover the glory of God, we should worship because we're creatures. And, and so our chemistry classes should be full of worship. And our, and our, our, uh, our medical mm. uh, universities and medical training should be full of worship, the glory of the Lord, because the human body is amazing. And our hard sciences should be full of worshipers. And yet, unfortunately, because we've rejected God, we keep on embracing laws and we keep on seeing the glory, but we don't give glory due to the Creator. Yeah. Uh, so I've always said, you know, and, and you brought this point out, this might be a good comment to, to touch on a little bit of what you were highlighting beforehand. Sometimes we think that the only place where we should worship God is in church or in our missionary training. But you brought out a really good point. If we could recover the fact that the created realm is sacred and holy, and that, you know, in mathematics or business or whatever, if we would go hard after the godly principles and in, in, in doing things God's way for God's glory, 
we'd bust out of this like little Gnosticism bubble that we still embrace in the Western church today in evangelical. Well, explain what that Gnostic. Well, yeah, okay. Is. So the Gnostic bubble is that spiritual things mm-hmm. are holy, mm-hmm. and that physical things are lesser. Yeah. So if you pursue spiritual things like theology, then you're you have a high calling. But if you pursue mathematics, then that's a lesser calling. And what we're saying and what this teaches is, no, wait a minute, mathematics has a certain degree of beauty and glory that points back to a God who's highly precise. And to use your mind to study mathematics for the glory of God is a holy thing. Or to run a business for the glory of God, to alleviate pain and suffering, or to bring blessing to people, or to serve people, is a holy thing. And so there is no Gnostic bubble. We like pop that bubble. All of the created realm is holy. So if you're a dirt mover, you're an excavator, I watch those guys with precision mm-hmm. get our ground perfectly ready uh, t- to house a parking lot yeah. and, and to serve, create a building. I'm watching all these guys lifting steel that was fabricated in a plant thousands of miles away, and they're putting it on bolts that were put out of sand on concrete foundations, and those bolts are all perfectly lining up with the steel that was fabricated thousands right. of miles away, right. all because of engineering. Right. Thank God for engineering. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we would not we would not be in this building today if 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 these hard sciences and the application of these things were not embraced as as holy and as a as a virtuous call. And, that, and that's the key: is some people are called to be missionaries. Go be a missionary. But I think the problem is when some people has been called to be a doctor, to be an engineer, to be a dirt mover, to study biology, yeah. and then you, but you you communicate to them and say, no, your calling is not as high as a pastor or a Bible study leader or whatever. Right. Whereas, no, God's the one who gives the call. Who are you to tell them their call is less than yours and try to persuade? When you say this field is all that is and that all that is holy and everyone needs to suck into that field, man, you are doing great danger because you are you are tapping to that Gnostic idea that that there is a spiritual and the secular. And right. what, what's happening in the world in America today is that due to the retreat, that's the teaching of the church right. the, in general, the retreat of Christians and biblical worldview from these secular marketplace realms, then you leave a vacuum of secularism, and you're wondering why they're coming down our necks and for, to we, destroy well, our religious we've, liberties. We've lost the hard sciences. We've lost education, the, the legal profession. This is one of the most important part of the book I, I, I didn't realize. Science founded from university, but these universities all came from the churches. Yes, yeah. The Christians started this, they, the, of this, of the whatever, of all the founders of the scientific principle, like 60% were devout Christians, the other 40% were Christian. They just weren't considered devout Christians or right. something like that. Yep. You know? and, and you realize, wow, that's our heritage because from the biblical, the literal reading, these are literalists of the Bible. They are some nominal Christian. The literalists of the Bible, they're the one who said, we need to recapture science, and they changed the Western civilization. And now, fast forward a couple thousand years later, we have the church that says, oh, science, that's just, that's just what the world does. That's, that's the, the business, ec- economy. That's just what the world does. You come and stay in the church, and let's pray so we can all go to heaven. Whereas they, they forgot our birthright. To change the world. Exactly. Yeah. Well stated. And uh, and it, it, it always puts a passion in me. I guess that's why you and I both have a passion for higher education. It puts a passion in me to recover some of these things so that young people understand. Yeah. 
the why behind how we got here, the 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 virtue in in whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Yep. Uh, do it to serve people. Do it to to help alleviate pain and suffering. Do it to take a job that's full of toil and and uh, and, and hard work and and create technologies, the heavy equipment that can that can do the work for you. Use your mind to serve uh, the planet. You know, but all these things make zero sense unless you get back to the roots and their foundation. Absolutely. And I like what you said, and we've talked about this, and I encourage some of you that are watching, if, you, if you're just watching here, go back a few episodes, because we talk about the fact that it was the church that provided the intellectual foundation for establishing the university, the uni, meaning coming from one worldview, yeah. university, and it was the university that gave rise to science. And so, uh, again, if you don't go back to the church and the Bible, one thing I'll just say in closing here, the only conflict between science and Christianity was between church leaders and scientists, and much of that was not an argument over their science. It had theological, moral, political, yeah. social, personal issues, just like we have today. Yeah. Like, I, I could disagree with you, not because of what you're saying, but because I don't like you or because I find you as a threat. Right. Um, or because your idea makes us have to reestablish, it's disruptive, it makes us have to relook at things. But there has never been a conflict between Christianity and science. If the, when the Bible is properly understood or science is properly understood, those two things never contradict. And then we'll go a little long, but even how he contracts the whole situation with Galileo. That was the, that was the example everyone says, oh, the church is yeah. against science because they, they banned Galileo. At least they didn't burn him at the stakes like the, of Tyndale. I mean, that's the example <laughs> exactly. they give. It's like they treated him actually pretty darn well. And the, and the difference is mostly not science, but theological difference from yeah. Galileo, if you really study into that, right? <laughs> and we find out, oh, Galileo had a personality, and he was a little he bit abrasive. Yeah, <laughs> and his, his exile or his uh, uh, house arrest was like some mansion, you know? Yeah, yeah but the point being, we're all humans, <laughs> yeah. and, and most conflict doesn't necessarily stem from ideological purity right. or whatever. It, there's a lot of other factors. and So anyway, this is just very, yeah. very helpful to understand. Bottom line, without Christianity, there is no science. Let's just say that again. Without Christianity, there no. is no science. No. Uh, and you cannot continue, as you said, to perpetuate a scientific community in the absence of Christianity. You're going to sink back into superstition, uh, bias, science, mysticism, which is what's happening right now in our world. The world's or the scientists worst. trying to play God. Scientism. That's why right now we are starting to sink back right into that. Follow the science. Follow the science. And we found out how that worked for us when it's not rooted in the Christian worldview. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, hey, we've had way too much fun with this today. I hope you've enjoyed the journey with us. We look forward to being with you next Thursday on the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Have a great week. 